Hey, this is Anthony Benning. You're listening to Fear the Sword Podcast. everyone my name is trevor magnati and this is the thick jacked frames podcast fear the swords nba draft podcast the nba draft is now 10 weeks away and the cleveland cavaliers are set to pick second and 26th here on monday morning that's right we are tied with the suns for the potential for the second pick a lot of potential movement that could happen there with how the season ends but for now a very exciting number to have in the lottery odds. The NCAA tournament has likely wrapped up by the time you're hearing this, and that means we are fully engrossed in draft season. Everyone is done playing games now except for Goga Batadze, who's trying to help Budichnost repeat as champions of the Adriatic League. Davidis Servitas, who we talked about last week, he's still playing in the LKL playoffs in Lithuania, and Seca Demboya is playing in the French Pro A regular season that's wrapping up. But on our side of the pond, it's time to narrow down the draft pool. The first big event of the tournament ends for draft prospects is the Portsmouth Invitational Tournament. That'll be April 17th to the 20th. That's going to feature a lot of the top fringe guys this year trying to make names for themselves in the NBA's oldest pre-draft showcase. I'll be there in a couple weeks. I'm going to be there for the final day getting a look at some of the more fringe guys in the class. Um, So we will talk about that more at a later date. But today we're going to focus on the other major deadline that is approaching. That is Declaration Day, which is April 22nd. So a couple weeks away here. That's when underclassmen the want to declare for the 2019 NBA draft have to put their names in by. Now, that doesn't mean these players will be in the class for 2019 as they still have time to test the waters and most of them probably will decide to return. But to be considered, you have to put your name in. And that's what many prospects have started doing over the past week. We're going to run through to start off here a list of guys who have declared so far and highlight some of the interesting names. The first one that we should start off with is the one that hasn't put his name in. Uh, One major player has decided to return to school. That is Jalen Pickett, who is a combo guard from Siena College in New York. He decided to return to school and a very interesting move for him. He's a guy that has been kind of on the fringe of the draft season or of the draft conversation for most of the season. And he has gotten a lot of love for his ability to create and kind of his old man game style that he's been playing at Siena this year. Siena fired their coach after the season. So was going to be kind of a surprise if he didn't at least test the waters, but decided ultimately to return back. We'll see if he's going to go back to Siena or potentially transfer up to a more major school. That could be the other way that we could see him go. Probably would help his stock to to do that, but still surprising not to see him at least put his name in, get an idea of what he needs to work on before he transfers up a level. Um, or returns to try to dominate again at Siena next season for a new coach. Um, So kind of a surprise there. He wasn't a guy who was on my top 60 board, but was in my top 100 
at this at this point. So now he's the only one of the major guys that is definitely going back. Um, some of the obvious names that we've seen declare so far, the UNC guys, Kobe White and Nasir Whittle have both put their names in. John Morant, obviously put his name in probably going to be a top a top five pick, whether I agree with that or not. Um, so he's in the two injured guys who we've known about for a while now, Darius Garland and Bull Bull both put their names in. And then Daniel Gafford, who looked like he wanted to get out of Arkansas as soon as like mid November. So not a surprise to see his name go in Shamori Pons of St. John's, the other big name, probably a first round, a firm first round pick. He put his name in as well, but it wasn't all obvious guys. There were some surprising names or at least guys who are notable. So we'll kind of talk quickly about six guys who I think it's important to see. They put their names in um, either because it's a surprise that they're going to come out or because it's going to be really interesting to see how they navigate the pre-draft prospect or process. Surprised to see Simi Shitu put his name in for the draft. He was a top 10 prospect throughout the beginning of the year and spent the year doing basically everything he could to take himself out of that conversation. Uh, big man with some interesting passing ability and finishing, but one of the worst defensive centers that we probably seen in the last few years at the college level um, doesn't have much, if any upside there has a history of an ACL tear really surprising to see him come out after his freshman season and test the waters. Wouldn't be surprised at all to see him go back to school, but you know, Vanderbilt's coaching situation maybe had something to do with him coming out. And the fact that they fired Bryce Drew, who recruited Shitu, brought in Jerry Stackhouse. Um, so going to be interesting to see what he does there because right now he is not a guy that I think can be drafted given his defensive limitations and inability to uh, probably get on the floor at all at the NBA level there. So really surprising to see him come out. Also surprising name to see was Mie Oni. He's a guy who's been in the top 60 for me for most of the year, the power forward from Yale. Mostly interesting to see him come out because he's a junior. Um, Ivy League guys, you don't expect to see them declare a lot as under cl- underclassmen, but um, he probably or he put his name in, is going to go through the pre-draft prospect process. He's a guy who I wouldn't be surprised at all to see get a second round promise and stay in the draft, but will be interesting to see how he's evaluated because he's a guy who has some flashes of skills, doesn't really have a ton of consistency, but with his skill set could turn into a very valuable rotation player. Um, So excited to see him come into the group. The main player that sticks out in terms of guys who were expected to come out but are going to need the pre-draft process to kind of really solidify themselves. That's Taylor Horton Tucker of Iowa State. Really exciting to see him him come out. He was a guy that I wasn't sure would or not, um, but he's going to be in the draft pool, probably is going to stick in the draft pool, but it's going to be really interesting to see how NBA teams evaluate him. Um, he's a guy who you either love or hate. I'm kind of on the hate side. I don't really see him as a guy who you're going to be able to rely on to 
provide any impact in the next couple of years because he has a long way to go development wise. Um, but a lot of other people look at his athleticism, his tools and his length and get really excited about him. You know, he's six, four has a near seven foot wingspan, um, has some handling ability. Looks like he could be a shot at a primary creator. So, um, wouldn't be surprised to see him go lottery. Wouldn't be surprised to see him go in the second round. Wouldn't be surprised to see him return to school. He's kind of a guy that's all over the place and it's going to be really interesting to see how NBA teams evaluate him um if he slips out of the lottery range it wouldn't be surprising at all to see him on the radar for the Cavs at the back end of the end of the first round with that Rockets pick so he's a guy to keep an eye on a um, couple other names that I thought were interesting to to come out uh Jalen LeCue who is a very athletic guard um is technically an NC State commit. Um, he's 18 and is not currently playing in at the college level, but um, does is eligible kind of like Anthony Simons last year. He's a guy I haven't put a ton of stock in testing the draft waters, but um, he, he very well could be a guy that comes comes out this year. So we'll we'll see what uh, NBA teams think of him. He is at Brewster Academy in New Hampshire um this season. So we'll we'll see where he uh, where he ends up and how he ends up navigating this process. Um Sagaiba Kanate, really interesting to see him come out from West Virginia. Um he probably could have come back another year. He spent most of the year dealing with injuries. Um had, or returned to school after a very strong 2017-2018 um, campaign, but really did not have any buzz around him. He's a very talented shot blocker who has some offensive skills. We'll see if he's healthy and can play in the in the combine season and, and workouts and see how he does, whether or not he returns to school or not. And then Jordan Bone of Tennessee, I thought was really interesting. He's been he was their point guard this year. Really interesting to see him declare early. He's a guy that a lot of people in the college realm like as a potential NBA guy. Um, doesn't get a ton of buzz from people in dra in draft Twitter, but really interesting to see him put his name in, especially putting it in before we saw decisions from Grant Williams and Admiral Schofield, who were kind of Tennessee's traditional draft prospects. We'll see if those two guys come out. Um, I would really anticipate that both would, but they both are guys that love playing at Tennessee and um, are both underclassmen, so we could see both one or both return as well. So interesting to see Bone put his name in so early before those two guys made their decisions. We'll see, those are two of the main guys that we'll see whether or not they come back. Um, Trey Jones, also of Duke, has hinted at returning. We'll see if he declares over the next week. And we'll probably do this again uh, as our lead-in to next week's podcast, trying to see break down more names and see who, who comes out. But for our prospect of the week today, we're going to talk about one of the guys that we've known is going to be in the 2019 draft class for months now. Uh, mostly that's because he's been injured. Um, Darius Garland of Vanderbilt, he declared in late January after he had surgery on his meniscus and he 
has been doing private workouts now we get to see whether or not he's healthy so let's break down his game and kind of what makes him tick and whether or not he would be a good fit for the Cavs as a reference he is the seventh ranked player on my current board um I have him one spot ahead of John Morant um and we'll talk a little bit about why that is and especially why I think he's a better fit for the calves than Morant would be. Um, so starting with the measurables, six foot two, 175 pounds, six foot five wingspan, pretty purely a point guard in terms of size. Um, t- stats for this season only played five games due to the meniscus injury that he su- that he suffered in their fifth game against Kent State. Um, But in those games, 27.8 minutes per game, 16.2 points, 3.8 rebounds, 2.8 or 2.6, excuse me, assists, and then 0.8 steals per game. Shooting splits were very solid, 54% from the field, 48% from three, and 75% from the line. Um, Not much to pick from in terms of representative games, but if you're going to watch one Darius Garland game, watch the USC game. It's his only game against power competition. Him going up against Benny Boatwright, Nikola Rakicevic, and... Kevin Porter Jr., so guys who could be on the NBA uh, NBA radars. Um, he went 6 of 14 from the field for 19 points, 4 rebounds, and 1 assist. So pretty representative game in terms of the statistical output there as well for him against USC. Um, you're drafting Garland for offense pretty, pretty clearly, as, as you would for most point guards. And his offensive strengths are pretty solid. Um, He is a very good pull-up shooter, and that's probably his number one skill. He's a guy who can get into his pull-up, create separation, and score consistently from three and from the mid-range with his jumper. Um, It's a very advanced jumper, probably the best one in the class, I would argue. Um, I would put it over over Morantz pretty clearly, Um, and I would put it over Kobe White as well. I did a piece at the step back earlier in the year, breaking down Garland versus White in terms of their shooting mechanics. I found White uh, Garland's to be a little bit more, a little bit more refined and And I really like how he is able to stay on balance, is able to consistently get into a good shooting pocket, change the angle of his release depending on a player's contest, um, and his ability to get to his pull-up out of a variety of different contexts is is really exciting. Um, He is a guy who I would liken very similarly to Kyrie Irving in terms of his handle. Um, I think that's one of his other major strengths. He combines his handle and footwork very well to be able to kind of probe in and out of a defense and kind of weave his way towards the basket and then pull up and stop on a dime. And that's something that's really valuable as a pull-up shooter. Um, I think that he's really good with crossover dribbles, in and out dribbles. Um, he accelerates really well while he's changing directions with uh, when dribbling, and I think that's something that's very valuable. Um, and it's going to be really important for him in particular because he's a guy who is undersized. He needs and doesn't have elite quickness. If you don't have or if you don't have quickness when you're that small, you need to have a lot of craft to your game. And Garland definitely does have that. He's very comfortable as a pick-and-roll scorer. I would be really excited to have him as the generator on my offense if I'm pick-and-roll dominant. 
um, because he just makes really good decisions out of that set. Um, is a really good passer. Um, can isn't super advanced. I wouldn't put him at like RJ Barrett's level as a, as a passer in his ability to see the floor, but he can make the simple things that really make you uh that really uh, make things go for the rest of your offense when it comes to running pick and roll. Um, so I think that he's good with like short passes to the corner, um, kickouts and uh, pick and pop stuff, drop off passes to the center. Um, Simi Shutu looked a ton better when he was playing next to Darius Garland than when he wasn't. Um, so that's something that's really exciting. Um, and I think that off ball, he offers some positives as well i think that he's going to be a good catch and shoot player um he does a really good job of relocating off ball when he when he catches um does the does the kind of corver thing where he can catch pump fake one dribble and and get a significant amount of distance away from the closing defender and then quickly fire up another three before the defense reacts that's something that's really valuable especially if you're a smaller guy so offensively i think that he is primarily a shooter, um, but is definitely a solid passer as well. And I think that you're kind of drafting him to be a primary guy in your offense. Um, that said, there are some pretty obvious weaknesses. Um, finishing is going to be a problem for him. He doesn't have a ton of strength, is obviously very wiry at 175 pounds, um, which is not great when you're not very tall. Um, he also, But more than that, he... I kind of have some questions with his decision-making in terms of his ability to kind of go to different things within his arsenal. He kind of over-dribbles at times. He doesn't really do a good job of recognizing when he has the peak advantage for being able to go to his pull-up jumper, and he'll kind of dribble back into the defense at times, which is something you want to avoid as a very strong dribbling guard. Um, He also doesn't really play with purpose Consistently, that's something that has kind of bothered me with him since the high school level. Um, sometimes it just seems like he's just looking to get shots up and doesn't play for the best decision in an offense, which is something that um, you really need to work with young guards on. Um, that's obviously something that Morant has a little bit better grasp of than, than Garland does, but I like Garland's skill set, and I think that he's going to be able to learn that Um transitioning to the NBA level, but it's something to note um, that he is not the best decision maker in terms of playing as a lead guard in an offense. Um, defensively, obviously more weaknesses than strengths here. You read off 6'2", 175 pounds, and you're automatically kind of gauging correctly where his defensive value is going to be, and it's it's going to be kind of more off-ball and hidden and... Uh, just not making mistakes is going to be kind of what makes him a a contributor on the defensive end. Uh, um, he does have some strengths in terms of his ability to make reads off ball. Um, he recognizes where plays are developing and makes some good rotations uh, when he's defending off ball. Of course, he didn't do a ton of that at the college level, so we're going to have to see a little bit more of that. I also really like his transition defense. Um, he's one of the guys that really does a good job of re- locating where opponents are going to be going off ball when he's defending in transition, making that initial stop and forcing the offense to set up um, 
and making those quick, decisive reactions that deny open transition looks. I really like him as a transition defender, which is probably the best way for him to be valuable on defense at the NBA level. You need a guy that can kind of be a ball stopper, and while he's not going to shut anybody down in transition, he'll at least bother teams and maybe cut off one to two transition possessions per game and on the margins that that is a huge value to bring to a defense um so that's some that's something that i think really gets undersold with him in terms of his skill set i think that he's probably one of the best transition defenders in the class um just in terms of his decision making and his ability to cut off the offense's open looks at the rim um, but more more importantly, defensively, we're talking weaknesses that are just physical limitations. Um, size is obviously huge. Athleticism, he's not an elite guy. He doesn't bring kind of like the Isaiah Thomas level um, elite athleticism that you'd, that you'd like to see from one of these smaller guys to, to kind of really be confident about him having a chance on the defensive end against a set defense. Um, he's going to be very reliant on his decision-making to kind of provide any value there because his size and athleticism aren't going to bring that at all. So you need to keep that in mind that you're not getting a very strong um, defensive player out of Garland. You're drafting him primarily for offense, and you're going to have to build a team that can be strong and kind of take advantage of his of his few strengths where they come. Um, but you're going to need a strong defensive team to really survive with him as your primary creator. So in terms of projection, I have him as a primary ball handler with off-shooting, off-ball shooting capability. Um, don't see him bringing much uh, value on defense outside of the tr- uh, transition defense. So you need to keep that in mind um, when we look at the potential outcomes. Um, we'll give a floor, median outcome, and ceiling um, with the caveat uh, caveat of this is a player that I would project pretty confidently to hit his median outcome. Um, I don't see a very I don't see a very like large chance that he hits his floor, um, meaning that I don't think that he's going to be as so limited that that's where he ends up. I also don't see a very high chance of him hitting his ceiling. Um, so keep that in mind. I'm going to throw out a very wide range of outcomes here for him. Um, but the middle one is really kind of where I have a strong confidence that he's going to end up. Um, so my floor is that the floor is dependent kind of on his um, size kind of being the primary factor that limits him, uh, meaning that his other skills aren't able to overcome the fact that he is so thin and is so small. Um, so that I think if if he is a kind of a bucket getter that can distribute a little bit, but he d- is not able to finish at all, um, is not able to get into the paint consistently and is a complete negative on defense, um, then this is a guy who there's a small chance that he just is like a G League scoring guard type and just never develops past that, um, never develops past the end of the bench at the NBA level. Um, I think that that is on the table for Garland. But like I said, um, I don't really trust that that is the case. I think that his other skills do overcome his lack of size. Um, I think his median outcome, what is much more likely is him becoming like a second or third tier primary guard in the league. Um, So a guy who can run your offense, can rely on his shooting to be a consistent 
productive offensive player um, is able to get a pretty beefy second contract and is a guy who is going to be a starter level player in the league. Um, I just don't think that he really is going to be kind of like at the level of like your elite guys. I mean, the guy he gets compared to a lot uh, from me in terms of stylistically is Kyrie Irving. I don't think that he's going to be on Kyrie's level. I think you kind of have to put him more in like that third tier of guys where if you've got like Steph and James Harden and Russell Westbrook at the top, and then you've got your secondary guys, you've got like John Wall and Damian, Damian Willard. Um, and then you go down to like that third tier. That's like Jeff Teague and Zach Levine and, De'Aaron Fox right now. Um, that's kind of where I think Garland is going to peak at. I think Teague is actually a really interesting comparison for Garland because he's a guy who also kind of has made the league as kind of like a thinner, frailer, uh, small point guard, but has made a very productive NBA career out of it. Um, wasn't an elite shooter in the way that Garland potentially could be, but worked his way towards that and was able to provide a lot of value there. Now, the one caveat being that Teague it was a much craftier finisher than I think Garland is, um, but Garland has a lot more of those kind of junk shots like little turnarounds and floaters in the mid post that I think could help him reach that similar level of value. I think if he does put on a lot of weight in the NBA and he does kind of build up and, and bulk up and suddenly he's maybe six to 200, but keeps kind of the, the footwork and handle aspects of his game. I think that he could get into that kind of edge of the second tier to first tier. He could become like a Kyrie Irving type, but I think that there's a low chance of that happening, particularly with his defensive limitations. I think you're aiming much more towards kind of that solid starter level, um, and maybe top half starter in the league, but is kind of like in the 10 to 15 range in terms of point guards in the league is where you're aiming for your, for your most likely outcome for, for Garland. Um, now, the elephant in the room, I kind of hinted at it earlier, is why would I take Gar Garland over Morant, um, especially when Garland has the injury history? Well, first, I, I kind of have to talk a little bit about the injury. I think that Garland is going to be fine in terms of his ability to come back from this. Meniscus tears are not something that is a completely limiting factor in the NBA. Um, they're pretty, they're pretty easy to come back from if you don't have other underlying problems, um, like a what Russell, what, or like a Derek Rose did, um, where you've had other injuries in the past or a Patrick Beverly who had other issues in his knee alongside of the meniscus issues that he's had, um, a one-and-done meniscus tear is not really anything to worry about. Um, we've seen Rodion's Kuruks of the Nets. Um, he was dealing with a meniscus issue last year in his pre-draft year that really kept him out of the first round. And he came back and was very and very clearly this year has been a fine athletically because of his meniscus tear. I think I think that Garland is going to be in the same boat, and I really am not worried about him 
as an injury risk in the way that I would be like about a Dean Wade, as I've talked about before, or a Bull Bull who has a lot of foot issues or a John Morant who has landing mechanics that really bother me. Um, I think that Garland is going to be fine in that regard. And I really don't worry too much about him with that. I also think that Garland is going to be a better fit next to Sexton. Um, He's a little clunky. Um, I would still say that Kobe White is my point guard of choice if you're going to be drafting another lead guard to pair with Sexton. Um, But Garland isn't a horrible fit. I think that his catch and shoot ability is going to be something that is going to allow him to play next to Sexton really well. Um, I think that he's a very solid passer and you can use him as your primary guy and have Sexton as kind of like your your throwback style shooting guard where he is like the primary point getter, whereas Garland is setting up a lot of your offense. Um, I think that the problem is that it creates a, t- a very tiny backcourt. You're giving up a lot defensively, which is obviously not ideal. But offensively, I think that the upside of pairing those two is 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 pretty solid um he's not the best option but i think that if you're looking for a shot creator in the five six seven seven range i don't think that you can do or i think that you can do worse than garland and i think that he's a guy that provides um some solid upside for your offense it is kind of like the last guy that offers that in terms of who's going to be available at that range. So I don't think as a fail safe, he's a very, he's a terrible option for the Cavs to go with. Um, and I personally would prefer him over Morant in terms of fit um, for the, for the Cavs. If you, if you're drafting somebody to pair with Colin Sexton in the backcourt. So that'll do it for us for today. Remember, you can find the podcast on Fear the Sword, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, Keep an eye out for our other podcasts on the Fear the Sword podcast network as well. The best way to support is to subscribe and leave a review. That helps more people find the podcast. You can also follow me at Illegal Screens on Twitter. Um, Pay attention for our or for some breakdowns of guys at the Portsmouth Invitational here in a couple weeks. Um, we'll, we'll hopefully get some good material out of that and hopefully can unearth some information about some of the guys who could be in uh, contention for the Cavs at the Rockets pick with that. Um, we'll also be back next week with another prospect breakdown. So get uh, take a look forward for that as well. We're officially in draft season, and I hope everybody's ready to hunker down and really get a good idea of who all of these prospects are, and hopefully we get some clarity on who the Cavs are realistically going to be targeting as they head into the 2019 draft. Um, so I hope everyone enjoys the last end of the NBA regular season, gets ready for the playoffs and draft season, and we'll see you all next week.